On tonight's episode, we watched Indie Darling, Fateful Frightenings. No, Fateful Findings. Fateful Findings. No, Fateful Findings. Fateful Findings. Fievel goes west. What? Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. As always, I am Stuart Wellington. And sometimes I'm not me, but today I am. I'm Elliot Kalen. Great. Uh, so if you're tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie. Hey, thanks for tuning in. And then we talk about it. It's uh, a weird time to interject that, Stuart. Yeah. You're- hey, friends and new friends, old friends. And you, friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Theodore Geisel. Poet laureate of the Flophouse, Stuart Wellington. Um, hey, for new listeners, maybe you can shut off your brains for a moment, but for old listeners, I just... I just I, <laughs> so much is directed to new listeners. Are you just in- encouraging them to commit suicide? Yeah. Just, uh, well, we'll get back to that later on in Fateful Findings. What? Spoiler alert. What do we watch? Spoiler alert. You heard it already in the intro. Uh, but, um... Frightful yeah. findings. For old listeners, I just I have a little thing I want to address off the top. Um, I wanted just to take a moment to say one personal thing, and uh, that's that my wife and I are separating, and I only uh, share this with you guys briefly, so I don't have to talk around the changes in my life and pretend they haven't happened, which I think would be weird. Uh, but otherwise, this is obviously a very private thing, and I like to keep it that way. But uh, just because the internet has a tendency to be a cruel place where people take sides on things, I just want to I just want to iterate that there are no sides to be taken here. Uh, My wife, uh, soon to be ex, but my wife Sarah is the best person I know, and we remain great friends, and we always will. And so I just wanted to say that off the top uh, before we get back to being funny, and uh, also just. You know, we've had a lot of people write in and say that the the podcast has helped help them through bad times, and I want to say uh, that the podcast is helping me through bad times too. So I appreciate it. But um, Dan, that's I think, that. I think I speak for everyone here at Flophouse Co. Uh, when I say that you mean me and you, <laughs> yeah, the two of us, <laughs> we say that uh, we love you very much, and we're here for you. And that what that means in practical terms is. If people want to go on the Facebook page and make jokes about this being because Dan's boring or something, then we'll probably blow up your house and kill your pets. <laughs> so maybe don't do that, okay? You're going like, to kill but, Dan's pets? No, not Dan's pets, although I don't oh, like okay. his cat. The pretty people who say those things. But let's, that's, that's let's just because you're allergic. Let's keep it clean. Yeah, let's keep it clean, Facebook friends. Mm, above and, the belt. Keep yeah, it above the belt. Above the belt. Maybe be human beings on this one. That's yeah. not for everybody on the page, just for a few people who are jerks. Um, so, but we don't need to dwell on that. I, I just, uh, and now Dan, we didn't watch a movie tonight. What? This is all we're going to talk about. <laughs> oh boy. Um, uh, now we can get back to being funny. I, I wanted to address that off the top so we can take the bad taste of it out of our mouths by, uh, then doing our regular show. Kind of a lot of pressure. So let's the take show. the top off. 
yeah, and talk about. Much like this movie threatens to do many times. No, it takes up plenty of tops off. You just don't see what's yeah, underneath and then it those. It drops tops. them on the ground outside of frame. <laughs> <laughs> because Dan, look, let's just say one thing. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm. No, I'm just gonna kill the suspense on this one about whether I liked this movie. The movie watch tonight was faithful. Faithful findings. Faithful movie, findings. Faithful find. It was faithful findings. A movie I've wanted to see for over a year now. Yeah. I think since I first saw it advertised online, <laughs> and it was amazing. This yeah. it, look. You can have your roomses and your birdemics. Now I'm a faithful findings man. Welcome to Small Vember, everybody. Yeah, that's the thing. This is a. <laughs> Definitely a small timber movie. This is uh, no, it's a small vember movie because small timber doesn't exist. <laughs> this is a movie that I have to tell a little story, which is that. Um, <laughs> so gather around the hearth, Kinder. <laughs> Another one of Dan McCoy's movie tales. Actually, hold on for a second. Sorry, I had to briefly pause the recording to uh, grab a letter, which was uh, way to pull uh, back the curtain, wizard. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I had planned to... Wizards and their curtains. <laughs> I really wanted to watch this movie for uh, Small Timber after seeing the... Small Timber. The trailer. And uh, I tried buying it from the, the person who made it. Uh, what's his name? Mr. Neil, Neil Breen. Neil Breen. Neil Breen. It, is, it, is the, it was written, directed, produced machine. by, and stars Neil Breen, who in his spare time is an architect. And a handsome hard body. And yeah. he's a, the All the time. Would, the movie would have you believe a handsome hard body who is catnip to the ladies. Mm-hmm. Even though the ladies in the movie kiss him as kind of chastely and with as little pleasure on their faces as possible. That's the thing. They're worried that they might cut themselves on his diamond-like chiseled features. <laughs> but I went on the Fateful Findings website and uh, tried to purchase it direct from the source. And I uh, paid the money and the DVD never showed up, which is very appropriate <laughs> to the movie Fateful Findings. Yeah. But as if by magic, uh, Flophouse fan Josh Hollis uh, the guy. Oh, I like who, that dude. He's done uh, a bunch of great flop house uh, Photoshop. He did copies of the Flop House Inquirer with Photo a bunch flop. of great uh, flop house in jokes. But he mailed a copy of the DVD for Faithful Findings to us, unbeknownst, like he did not know that it was uh, something that we wanted to watch. And it just magically appeared right before. Hey, so in a way, didn't you get the DVD you bought? Yeah, mm-hmm. as if by kismet. Yep, it's almost it like came together. a mushroom magically morphed into that DVD. Yeah, which leads us into, I guess, the... Well, let's just say this was a case when of serendipity, when fate has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Starring John Cusack. <laughs> uh, so Neil Breen is, uh, is an independent filmmaker and also architect. The most independent <laughs> <laughs> Independent from logic, skill, talent, yeah. storytelling ability, and let me the often po- alone in the shots that he. Let shoots. me just say that the the subtitle on the poster for Fateful Findings is this: is the subtitle on the poster, a paranormal thriller where a computer hacker exposes worldwide secrets. Mm-hmm. That only that is much more succinct than the movie. It describes about. Th- Two or three of the six or so plots that are going on in this movie, which include it's going to be so hard to talk about this movie in chronological order. But let's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to mention off the top. We're going to try. Just mention off the top that there is a compu- a novelist computer hacker who exposes secret government and corporate secrets, as he calls them. Uh, his drug addicted pill popping wife, his n- mm-hmm. drunk neighbor, mm-hmm. whose wife does not want to have sex with him. His crazy. teen neighbor, the da- teen daughter of his neighbors who is trying to seduce him. Also, 
He, there's a ghost and also magic stone powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's and, not and disappearing people. Just a bunch of random disappearing, disappearing people, people who we don't quite two, understand. Two and psychotherapists. Two psychotherapists. One of whom is some sort of paranormal ghost spirit. <laughs> yeah, like an old gypsy just woman. Not very good at his job. Yep. And so let's start from the beginning, shall we? We begin sometime in the past. Mm-hmm. Their two kids are tromping <laughs> through the woods, as kids do, mm-hmm. and they find a mushroom on the ground which dissolves into a magic box of stones. Yep. So mm-hmm. we're in, like, R- Russo-Finnish folktale uh, territory mm-hmm. already. It doesn't do the normal thing that a mush- mushroom does, which is either make someone larger or smaller or make Super Mario more super. That's, well, makes them bigger. Yeah, yeah that's, I guess it's that's traditional. That's just science. Yeah. Well, the thing is you want to get the right mushroom. Some mushrooms make you bigger and smaller. Some turn you super. One gives you like an extra guy or something, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a one-up mushroom. Mm-hmm. And Very some rare. of them just make you real nice. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> make you real nice. <laughs> Not sh- I don't understand. You know. Like a mushroom that teaches you Wink. etiquette, uh, politeness. Uh, Wink. Yeah. Why's your eye making that sound every time you wink, Dan? <laughs> That's radio I've got winking. a disease. <laughs> <laughs> So they find this magic mushroom, which Mm -hmm. is not a drug. It's an actual mushroom that's magic. Yeah. They take stones from it, and the girl writes in her diary. It turns into a little box in a bag, and they just keep pushing the, like, rope that ties the bag over, and then they cover it up with grass, and it turns back into a mushroom. And, uh, oh, by the way, there was a cattle skull that kind of, like... Just kind of nodded. And after finding it. this magical box mushroom, the the <laughs> the young girl writes in her diary, "It's a wonderful day." It's, it's a, a magical, magical day. day. Oh shit! She writes it. Like I watch a different movie. That's the one thing she writes on the page, like <laughs> like diagonally, diagonally. <laughs> across the lines. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a magical day. Unfortunately, she and her family are moving away, and a voiceover <laughs> and a voiceover tells us that uh, she has a bracelet. A voiceover, te- that's important for later, a voiceover from the boy, now a grown man played by Neil Breen, tells us that he never heard from her again and he never saw her again at the end of that magical summer. And there's like eight shots of the car driving away and the kid running after uh, waving at it. Mm-hmm. And the distance that the kid is from the car keeps shifting from uh, from shot to shot. And the car is moving at Three miles an hour as it drives away. <laughs> let's, let's just... And it's it's as if he found two children who have never waved before in their life. <laughs> yeah, they don't... <laughs> and then he had a dog teach like them the how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> they, let's, let's just right at the top mention that everything in this movie is done at the lowest level of competency <laughs> Everything this possible. movie does is wrong. But in a, it's like in a great way. Like I could not... If I was trying desperately hard to make a movie that was... Poorly made and made mm-hmm. bad, was terrible in no sense. I would never be able to achieve it. Mm-hmm. You would have, I would have to unlearn so much basic film grammar. No, Tim and Eric could only dream of making yes. this movie. Yeah, they, they hope one day to sit at the feet of this Buddha <laughs> of filmmaking. Like compared to this guy, Tommy Wiseau is a hit, like Hitchcock. You know, basically. Like and that is not an exaggeration. <laughs> the Room is much more competently made than this film. So is. we flash forward to the present. A mm-hmm. guy is walking down a sidewalk. It cuts to a woman. And this is intercut with shots of just random shit that doesn't seem to make any sense. There's a long panning shot, or a long tracking shot, I'm sorry, down the hallway of a storage <laughs> locker facility. Apology accepted. Thank you. <laughs> to a magic book on a pedestal of some kind mm-hmm. that gold dust is falling on. Okay, cut away from that. We're not interested anymore. <laughs> uh, the guy's walking down the street. Turns out he's on the phone with his wife, even though we don't hear him talking or see him talking. Uh, and she is... 
glad that he's coming home soon. She is at her kitchen sink, which is beautifully decorated with a potted plant a and giant three bananas. Outdoor <laughs> potted plant. <laughs> it's like they wanted the room to look lived in, so they just added a, the kind of potted plant you would put outside a back door. And yeah, three bananas. They're on like, the plate. what kind of clip art can I drag over <laughs> into this shot? <laughs> uh, he is hit by a car, a Rolls Royce. Mm. Driven by a very busty lady whose face we never yeah, see. Yeah, we never see. But uh, she is certainly nipply. That's that's sure. what we know about her. And now this that, that's what the APB for the police put out for her. <laughs> Suspect is nipply. I repeat, headlights are on. The uh, this begins the the major theme of the movie, which is teasing the viewer with the idea that they might get to see breasts mm-hmm. and then not showing them. There are like four at least busty women in this movie that they keep four at least busty. <laughs> Like, they keep showing scenes where they are topless, but... They're lying on their chest, on so their you chest. see their side, or their back is to you. Or there's two different scenes where a woman's shirt comes off, and you just see her feet, and the shirt falls down. And, <laughs> and in one like of them, a, the shirt like, makes a thump sound. It's like a flump. <laughs> like, there's some hilarious sound effects in here. Uh, so he's hit by a car. There's blood everywhere. On his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's lying perfectly still on his back. He has Desperately trying to reach his flip phone. And not- <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those razor phones where like it's open sideways. Yeah, because he's a famous novelist, dude. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, he goes to the hospital. He's given a, He has a magic stone in his hand. I don't remember if he's given <laughs> it or not. He, they take him to the hospital very slowly. They spend so much time putting an oxygen mask on his face. Yeah. Like if this was an instructional film about applying oxygen masks to the faces of coma victims like they would do it with more speed well, they're also just like five people standing in a line saying is he dead is he breathing and he's each each they time are, that someone says something it's intercut with a slow panning shot of their feet as they stand <laughs> yeah. there and there's a shot of a guy going he was hit by that rolls royce i'm a witness i saw it and the like, rolls royce well, is right there it's still there and it's still got blood all over the front of it so mm-hmm. thanks you're a great witness great uh it's there's so many shot scenes where it's a cut, it's a close-up of someone saying a line, then either a cutaway to a panning shot of something unrelated, or a close-up of another person t- having a totally unrelated conversation. Like, it's <laughs> like there's it's like waiting for Godot level like like a- ambiguous dialogue at times. Anyway, so he goes to the hospital. He's got a uh, he's like got a Phantom of the Opera of gauze all over his face, <laughs> yep. just like covering half his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people who we figure out are his wife and a friend, because the guy says. I'm his closest friend. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this has happened to him. Uh, they're there. The doctor takes a long time before he says anything. There's literally a long shot of the doctor, the wife and the friend, and the doctor is just looking around. And I guess the idea is supposed to be that he's examining the patient, but he's just mm-hmm. kind of looking at all the stuff in the room. And uh, he tells them it's there's nothing he can do. He's very... he's. Uh, there's very little brain activity. The neurologist comes over. She says, he's not my client, but I'll take a look. She feels his pulse and then says, he, there's not, you know, he's, he suffered severe brain trauma. He's comatose. She's as good a doctor as Sean Connery was in Guardians of the Highlands. <laughs> <laughs> one guardian of the Highlands. There's just one guardian. Oh, yeah. But you're right. She, she'd bring, maybe she studied under him, like Lorraine Bracco in Medicine Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she took his, his philosophy of, I'm going to stand next to people and talk about how bad it could possibly be and hope that that shocks them into getting better. Uh, He, fortunately, though, has a magic rock in his hand, Mm -hmm. and that heals him, I guess. 
He gets up and walks away on his own. Although maybe he's a ghost based on later things that happen in the movie. Could you don't be. know. Yeah, a magic wind blows by, like the wind in the willows or something. Cut to his hallway at home where his... Oh, well, he gets up and we see his butt through his hospital gown. Uh-huh. Yeah, this so is the only nudity you see in the movie, is despite his, all the tease. Is his hospital gown open in the back? Because like Tommy Wiseau... Low-budget auteurs believe they have the greatest hinders in the universe, <laughs> and you've got to see them. I mean, when a guy spends this much time in his body, you got to—he <laughs> should show it off. It's a waste. Uh, you, looks, don't wanna, you don't want to cover up that treasure. He's a little bit like a guy who—he's just a normal guy who doesn't really take great care of himself, but jogs every now and then. And someone once said to him, "Hey." If you squint a little, you look kind of like David Duchovny. Yeah. And he was like, I should be a movie star. I, like, if you was, squint a little, you look like uh, Bob Shea from New Lines. Uh, <laughs> like, if you, you know, if I don't, if I look like a little bit, you could be, uh, you know, the lead singer from Rush. Like, <laughs> he's kind of a, he's, oh, he's kind of an Alan Rickman without the dangerous, like, sexiness that Alan Rickman brings. Like, uh, more puffiness. <laughs> except he's got a very sharp cheekbones. Yeah. Uh, and his eyes glow with an inner animation that gets more and more as the movie goes on. <laughs> anyway, cut to his hallway at home where his hospital gown and his bloody bandages are just littered the floor and he's in the shower, which implies that he walked home in his hospital gown <laughs> yep. like nobody stopped him. His wife is like, oh, you're home. Uh, and they embrace yeah, in the out of shower. Concern, and, she gets into the shower with him. And they slow dance. Like, they just kind of slowly While turn While he wears that like, half-mask bandage thing. Yeah. He still has the bandage on his face. He's otherwise naked. She is in a shift that's becoming see-through with the water. With bloody pink water. And they just kind of hold each other and turn slightly from side to side. And that mm-hmm. begins another theme in the movie, which is uh, the romantic... Uh, the lead actor's romantic interest in the movie not wanting to touch him very much and yeah. wanting to kind of keep their distance in the love That's scenes. another similarity uh, between uh, him and Tommy Wiseau. I think it's pretty clear that the uh, romantic leads do not want to get involved with him. No. Uh, well, they're sexually intimidated. Now, you're going to have to help me. I believe that then cut to the scene where uh, the neighbor, their best friends, yeah. their neighbor mm-hmm. is having a drunken argument with his wife who does not care for wearing bras. Yeah. She mm-hmm. likes to wear loose halter tops that she can just kind of, uh, just you know, bounce around in. in. She lounges around talking about how bad her job is at the bank <laughs> and the office at the bank. Oh, and I just got that relationship now. He complains that he does. they haven't had sex in a long time. Their daughter over or his daughter, who's her stepdaughter, overhears this, and she is just despondent over it. Cut to... Uh, Again, now there's so many cuts. Here's where I'm yeah. not sure where the order of things happens. Now we find out that the basically we learn this the, movie for a movie that's ostensibly about secret government secrets <laughs> and ghosts uh, and doing powers. magical things. Like most of it is interpersonal relationships and people hitting on the main character. It kind of feels like there's a guy who saw Donnie Darko. Yeah, and he also saw like. Uh, like a John Cassavetes film mm-hmm. marathon, and he's like, why can't I do it all? Why can't I have some kind of supernatural conspiracy thriller? And also, you know what? Throw in these real relationship arguments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at times it also feels like a David Lynch movie, the way that like there's something seedy and creepy going on, but it's mostly it, like soap opera stuff. But it's not intentionally that, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it, he, it feels like he directly lifts Angelo Badalamente's Twin Peaks score for most of these scenes. Well, crossed with like weird, like Irish uh, flute music from Titanic. There's a lot of Irish flute. That's true. And also <laughs> that he does has dream sequences where he's in like a an oozy black room. 
mm-hmm. that's never yeah. really explained. Which, like uh, like we were talking about, it there's something about incredibly inept filmmaking that can be inadvertently super creepy because nobody acts like humans at that point. Yeah. They all act like weird mannequins or <laughs> reptile people that are wearing the skin of humans. It, do, it feels like... We eavesdropped on a suburb where everyone's an undercover alien, but they're mm-hmm. all from different alien species. So <laughs> yeah. none of them know how humanity operates, but they don't want to blow their cover even to each other. Yeah. Uh, so here, I'm just going to talk about what happens in the movie in a general sense. I don't remember the order. So of it. a lot of the next like half hour of the movie, roughly, seems to take place in his weird office, which is <laughs> we only see the corner of, and it's just a desk covered in four or five of the same book <laughs> and five open laptops that, that are never turned on. They're never they're turned on. All the he, same Sony laptop. But he <laughs> yeah. types on them and he breaks them and then uses them again later. <laughs> they're great laptops. <laughs> they're so durable. They don't even have to be turned on and you can write, st- you can do some hacking. You don't even have to type normally. You can just bang at them now <laughs> randomly. We, we learn he's a computer scientist who somehow became a best-selling novelist. Mm-hmm. He's tired of writing novels. He's hacked into government and corporate That's the thing. secrets. When he's realized that he has no more worlds to conquer in the novel game. <laughs> yeah, he becomes a super hacker. But sure. he, he mentions that he's hacked into these secrets to his wife. Then he mentions it to her again, and she's shocked by it the second time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then, and she says, oh, you're in trouble. Then we forget about that plot for a long time as we get involved with the wife's addiction to the husband's pills mm-hmm. that, that this... This, uh, his psychoanalyst has been prescribed. Yeah, there's some kind of pain, addictive pain pills that his psychoanalyst p- prescribes. Mm-hmm. We get into that. We get into the alcohol problem of the neighbor. His psychoanalyst who meets him in, uh, in a like conference, a conference room. room. He walks up a stairway in a mansion and ends up in a conference room. <laughs> it's a weird mansion, though, because if you look down the hall, there's clearly like an exit sign. <laughs> So maybe it's not a mansion. So it, it, I feel like it's like it's a massage parlor or something. <laughs> it certainly doesn't look like a, an office you No, know, it's not an office. Like it could be a hotel or a spa, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he goes, he, even the sign on the on the second land store says, Sweet 1111, Dr. So-and-so. And it's like, you couldn't even think of an interesting number for the room. It's just one after, it's just four yeah. ones. But also he does his therapy. Like there's a long conference table. There's like eight chairs in between them. And they each sit on the opposite <laughs> end of the table. Like that scene in Citizen Kane that's so, supposed to indicate how far Kane and his wife have gone it's across. Like he, it's like if in Network... Peter Finch was going to his therapist when he went to see Ned Beatty, and Ned Beatty yelled at him about the order of the universe. Like, that's what this room is set up like. Like, maybe it's a new radical form of therapy where you pretend you're at a meeting, but the distance you sit from each other represents is a physical representation of the emotional distance between the sure, two. Sure, or like each chair is filled with one of the monkeys that's on your back. <laughs> He goes, sit, come into the room. Now let's populate this room with all the people you have issues with in your life. We're going to have a meeting right here. I call it terrible therapy. <laughs> so the doctor's really pushing these pills. I think because the wife is asking him to so she can get to them. That's never really yeah. clear or not. Uh, he says no more pills and throws them in the toilet, but she pulls them out again. Yeah, she's she scoops them out. They, mm-hmm. have some, they have some conversations that are like, Eight conversations condensed into one conversation. <laughs> what, but they and keep like, going back and forth about like how she can't take it anymore, and then they 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 reconcile, and then she can't take it they anymore. They have sex the on his scene. desk, but he oh, oh that's the most hilarious scene. He starts throwing his computers on the floor, and then his papers but super slowly. <laughs> 
Like it's not like he like sweeps everything off his desk he in, does a, it in one, a fit of passion, one at a time. And she thinks this yeah, is hilarious. never breaking eye contact with her. He sweeps shit off his desk he onto like, the floor. Yeah, like, it's, it's like that scene. And he's sweeping laptops off his computer. Like he's breaking his things. It reminded me more of that scene in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels where Steve Martin is playing Ruprecht. And he's like upset, and he slowly drops one thing after the other after the, off the mantle. But like then that's how he's doing it. Once he's done clearing the desk, or I guess he still does efforts. They start tearing at each other's shirts as if they're trying to take them off, but they're just kind of ripping them. And that's when the when they're as like we mentioned, playful monkeys. <laughs> It, well, it certainly feels like she didn't realize that this was going to be a love scene. <laughs> she thought, at, she, at first she thinks it's a scene where he's trying to attack her, and she's just fighting back, and then she's like, oh, no, no, wait, okay, this is your idea of making love, because you're a weirdo. So we're going to do these super awkward kisses, because she couldn't handle the raw masculinity that Neil Breen is bringing to the scene. Yeah, they're, like, they're kissing like both on the, like, the side of their mouths, <laughs> ramming them together. Maybe it's a situation where like the time Jackie Chan had a love interest in a movie and all these women killed themselves. Maybe yeah. Neil Breen wanted to spare the rest of... The- Except he has three to four love interests in this movie. That's true, but all those kisses seem very forced. They so are- they didn't... They couldn't think there's actual passion there. They are The kisses are done with all all the realistic passion of a reluctant first-time lesbian porn actress <laughs> who is not interested in being in this lesbian scene, but you got to pay the bills. So mm-hmm. she's going to kiss. The, the tarp's on the ground. <laughs> you better do something with it. <laughs> That's the most horrible thing I think I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> that, that tarp doesn't get picked back no. up until it's been. What, what are you, <laughs> ladies, what are you going to do? Rake some leaves onto it? No, <laughs> it's on the ground. We can't put it over a pool. <laughs> <laughs> so you better make some use of it. So the they have the, yeah, so that's make, make sweet love. <laughs> they they uh, the daughter from next door comes over. Oh, so there's a big barbecue. Oh, they have and it house. is big. It's so big. Because it's so big that several shots are repeated, <laughs> as if the director doesn't think that we'll notice that they just did the same shot. Or that over they have again. a they have a beach umbrella with a sponsor company name on it <laughs> set up at the head of the stairs of the pool. Which it makes no sense why and, you'd have an umbrella. And every there. scene of the party has like six people in it, but the background sound effect <laughs> sounds like Final Fantasy VII, where Cloud yeah. is at like a fucking bar or something. If they, or like like the sound effects from uh, the Beatles. You know my name. Look up the number. Like the party <laughs> sound. <laughs> the the he wants you to think there's at least well more than five people at the party. Yeah. When it doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, I don't even know what why he wants you to think that. Like what he's attempting. Oh boy! So the party scene—that's when the movie starts getting interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it really kicks into gear. Because, so the na- the drunk neighbor hits on the wife. She doesn't want anything to do with it, and to show how drunk he is, she goes, "You're drunk." He's like, "No, I'm not." And then he knocks over a plate full of corn. <laughs> this is after the wife has taken uh, the main character's whole ear of corn from his plate. So that's the ruin. The stealing of corn is really a big. It's one of those here. great shots where normally the director would be like. Mm, that was super awkward. Let's t- do it again. But instead, he's like, no, let's just keep it. It's weird the way she takes an entire ear of corn <laughs> off my plate, and I awkwardly adjust it so all the chicken doesn't fly off. Also, oh. like, when he when the drunk guy knocks the plate of corn over, you don't see his face. It's like a shot from the neck down from a, 
of angle extreme down close up like yeah. the rest of this movie of the of the corn and then he he knocks it over and knocks another thing over it, and then he just waves his hands around yeah, like, it looks like, whoa, 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 whoa. like a little shimmy like he's dancing <laughs> <laughs> like like he was supposed to have more of a drunk like bedlam scene but they only had two plates to knock over so he's just kind of waving his hands yeah, and he had to you st- don't notice he's not knocking anything over they only had two two plates and he had to stay in frame the whole time <laughs> so they're like be drunk within a very specific set of confines but more importantly the neurologist that saw him in the hospital shows up the one who he wasn't her patient but she would see him anyway yes and i think we find out why she's wearing the bracelet that the girl... She killed Leah and took the bracelet? No, that is not <laughs> the inference you're supposed to have. She is Leah. His... But she looks so much younger than our lead. Well, and here's that. This is... Okay, so this is my theory about that. <laughs> in addition to being... She was a neurologist on the International Space Station. She oh. spent some time in space, maybe flying at light speed. Okay. And because of the laws of relativity, she has aged at a slower rate than our hero, who is clearly... 15 to 20 years older than her. I, I would think it might be exposure to the magical energies of the black rock that he holds in his hand. That it's aged him somehow? Yeah, that Whereas it, she it's cho- absorbing she, his life energies. I see. It's like uh, Elric's sword. Uh, Stormbringer? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Where she found the bracelet of life, <laughs> which gives her eternal youth. Yeah, like the weird gem bracelet she wears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he realizes her- the holograms? Uh, maybe I don't. I don't does she have? A, I'm assuming she has a bracelet. She has a ton of bracelets. It's the '80s. Everyone was wearing bracelets. But the Misfits, Lousy. their songs are better. That's that's what I know. Yeah, especially when Danzig was still with them. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, uh, not I never so much. understood why Gem and the Holograms, the cartoon, would pick a name for their villain band that is a real band's name. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's not like the Misfits <laughs> named themselves after the Gem and the Holograms band. Been around since like '79. I don't know. I don't know. They just yeah, heard of it. It's, it's like she... Let's get the it'd be like gem it, on the look, phone. I would just want to say the creator of Gem and the Holograms, I'm disappointed in your lack of knowledge about the horror punk genre. <laughs> yeah, why don't you pick a brand new name that nobody's used, like the River Bottom Nightmare Band. <laughs> 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 nobody's ever used that. <laughs> or Spin Doctors. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to be, you know, super great. Uh, so the he recognizes her and immediately is so happy and is holding hands with her constantly throughout the party, right in front of his wife. Oh, there's a great part where he's holding her hand, and it cuts to the wife noticing, and then it cuts back to their hands, pulling away from each other real fast. But the timing is just bad enough that everything is super unnatural. Yeah. Uh, so he's found her. They will eventually go frolicking in the woods and have another one of these weird love-making things where a shirt falls on the ground, <laughs> while his wife... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself because his wife dies of a painkiller overdose, knocking over a glass of water on the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we're supposed to read, I guess, as white wine, but it is clearly just water. <laughs> but this is only after. So his best friend is always tooling around on his Ferrari, by which I mean polishing the mirror, because that's all he knows how to do with his car. Yep. His wife comes in and they argue. Then the wife leaves and then comes back with a gun. She yep. says, I'm going to shoot holes all through that car, but then shoots her husband. <laughs> the daughter runs in and sees that she did it, and he go, and the mother is like, Don't go in there. Don't go in. You didn't you see anything. You didn't see anything. And then the, da- the daughter goes, You killed him really calmly. And she says, You didn't see anything. And then the daughter goes, Dad, Dad, and is running towards him. And it's like, did you reverse the order of those <laughs> shots when you were editing? Because she seems to get, she goes from calm to super. Yeah. Elliot, have you ever surprised. been in that fucking situation, dude? <laughs> that is a good point. I cannot judge. <laughs> Where your stepmom shoots your dad while your dad was 
I guess massaging his Ferrari Testarossa. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't. Ha- I have a stepmom, but my dad doesn't have a Ferrari, so I don't think I'll ever. And be then in the situation. mom lays the gun down near the dead uh, husband. The perfect crime. The perfect crime. Without wiping it for prints or anything, <laughs> or putting the gun in his hand or anything no. like that. Uh, and says, oh, he committed suicide. She already and burned her fingerprints off in an accident years uh, ago. And other than the daughter telling our hero, oh, uh, my mom killed him. It wasn't a suicide. This is not revisited at all. No. There's no resolution. Never, never again. Oh, I should mention about the daughter. We forgot to mention that. She appears in one of the many almost topless scenes when mm-hmm. she just shows up at their pool after the barbecue and is just standing at the top of the pool stairs with, like, like kind of knee deep in the water, just throw, mm-hmm. splashing water at nothing. Yeah. Then she takes her top off and calls, from the back. We from, see her from the back and calls for Dylan the hero. And he goes, "Ugh, no, you can't do this. Stop it." And then she takes and she, she puts her top immediately she back on. Puts her top but, on and then goes to take a bubble bath. I mean, he's a grown, handsome man. There's no <laughs> way this teenage girl could handle that. No, no. That's why he says no to her because she's just not ready. He would destroy her. He would her. ruin her. She wouldn't be able to walk for a month. Nor would oh, she ever boy. be satisfied with another man. No, she'd uh, never find that sort of joy again. I don't again. think that's the moral of what happened. I, it's, one of the, it's like uh, the movie that the guy mentions to uh, Woody Allen in Manhattan, uh, where w- the woman is so satisfied by her orgasm that she dies instantly. That's what would have happened. Okay. Anyway, what Elliot so, said. The, uh, he says, no, no. She tries to take a bubble bath. Classic Poison Ivy new seduction move. Mm-hmm. He's not falling for it. And his wife, and then he's cut to, he's on the couch with his laptop working. His wife's like, oh, was Allie here? And he's he's like, like, I can't talk. I'm too busy working. <laughs> you know <laughs> slap, what? slap, slap. You know what she did? She was swimming in the pool topless. And then she tried to take a bath. And the wife goes, I'll call my friend. And the neighbor gets on the phone and goes, Thank you for telling me about that. She shouldn't do that. I'll talk to her about it. Oh. Cut to the daughter in her room grounded, crying. But also, the, our hero said, I told her that she couldn't come back here again without permission. Without calling first. <laughs> it's like, what? I don't understand how that would have changed the situation. <laughs> the, uh, this is after we've had, a, uh, before the scene, I don't remember, where he's arguing with his wife, and he's on the laptop, and she's like, I'm having a hard time at work. And he's like, I'm busy. And then cut to her talking. Cut back to him. The laptop's gone. And he's cross-legged on the couch with bare feet, just kind of rapping with her, you know? Yeah. Like I like girlfriends. Mm-hmm. There's, anyway, so he reconnects with his... You're doing a great job, by the way. Yeah, this, this is, is a hard movie. This is a tough one. Like, I've forgotten... <laughs> this this it's, movie is a real collection. You've forgotten more about this movie than you remember. <laughs> There's, they took a bunch of scenes, put them in a sack, and just shook it up, and just emptied that onto some film. So many shots will have a character, like a close-up of a character saying something super weird, and then it will immediately cut to a close-up of that character wearing different clothes, doing something <laughs> different. And you're like, Did, how much time passed? I don't know what's going on. Is this the same scene? There's a scene where they have dinner with their friends. Where oh, it's, yeah, it's all shot in one shot. It's all one shots. And I, they are, I don't think it's dinner because at no point do we see food. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, she says, I'll go get the food now. But uh, the yeah, w- uh, but yeah, that's the cheapest way to get around <laughs> sure. a fake dinner. They and, <laughs> but they are having so many different conversations <laughs> with each other, and there's the they, each line is completely unrelated to the next. That teenage yeah. daughter wants to talk about her fucking stupid elephants class. <laughs> her project about she's almost done with school. They're doing a great project about elephants. It's like, are you in elementary school? Like what? <laughs> sure. This the whole anyway. So let's give ahead to he's reconnected with his his childhood girlfriend Leah. Mm-hmm. Leah who 
they go out to the forest to mm-hmm. find their magic mushroom place again, and they yeah. find it, and it turns into a box with some strings or tassels or something yeah. in it. Uh, his wife kills herself yeah. with, the, with pills while then he's... Then they do. While they're making love. While, they're, <laughs> while he's out... Their shirts hit the floor again with a thump. Well, yeah, he's out patting her he's face... He's gonna move, dude. Patting her face with his lips <laughs> as if checking it for lice in some way, you know? Or mm-hmm. like, it's like her face is a minefield. Well, like and, he, t- and, she's, and he's worried that if he kisses too hard, she's gonna explode. Sure. She, for her, it's almost she's worried that if she touches too much of his face, she'll be reduced to cinders and ashes from the sheer heat of his passion. <laughs> and he pushes her shirt down uh, in a weird way, and then it falls. Through. Anyway, their shirt just over his shoulder, uh, just over the shoulders for a little while, and you're yeah. like, do they do they think that we can't see the top of her shirt peeking out of the yeah. bottom of the frame? Do we th- are we supposed to think that she's nude? I don't understand. And instead of thinking she's nude, they're going to have sex. What you think is, or they're in love. What you think is, before this shot, they negotiated how far he could pull her shirt down. And the great thing about it is, right after that, it'll immediately cut over to a shot of him with his shirt pushed most of the way down. <laughs> so the, the the girls in the audience now, have something, yeah, to something watch. for the and ladies. I, I want to reiterate that's the Han Solo for the for the crowd. Yeah, I want to reiterate that like we may seem super pervy for like focusing on this so much, but the movie drove us to it. There, like, the movie is constantly. It was kind of like it was trolling us. <laughs> it was like the movie was, was playing a joke. Look, <laughs> where it's like, let's see how close we can get to having someone be naked without it being naked. The only way this movie could be more entrapment is if Catherine Zeta-Jones slid under some lasers <laughs> with a pair of pants on. Yeah, with leather pants on. With <laughs> a pair of pants on. Because <laughs> if she did it in like a skirt, that's not entrapment. No, that's not the same movie. Uh. So, yeah. So, okay, so the wife kills herself. This is around the time we get back to the storyline of the secret government and corporate secrets that he hacked into. He has a lot of loud arguments with, I guess, his publisher on the phone yeah. about how they're not <laughs> respecting him and they keep asking yeah. for deadlines. And he throws around the same three copies of his book in the same way that he throws around his laptops. <laughs> he's, he has three <laughs> laptops and four copies of his book, and he's just always throwing them <laughs> or tapping them on things. Anyway, there's definitely a scene where he accidentally throws the he throws the book at his laptop and it flips over to reveal his <laughs> spine. And, you know, that wasn't in the in like the plan because it doesn't say his name on it. <laughs> the, uh, this I, uh, sometime before this. What about the scene where he passes out and spills coffee on his face? Oh, <laughs> we forgot and then he that. starts After, making a face like he loves it and he can't get enough. <laughs> After the car accident, he's having headaches because, of course, he would. He was hit by a car. Sure. And yet he's like. Oh, and he he's got coffee precariously placed on the keyboard of his laptop, and he knocks it over, and he like he he falls. It's like his head falls on the paper, and then he knocks the coffee no, over. No, thing. Well, he, he his head falls it? down, and then he's like regaining consciousness, and he sees his coffee, and he's like, "Oh, that's what I want, coffee." And he tries to drink it, and it tips it all over. <laughs> and his it just face. spills over everything. But yeah, the look, instead of being like, "Ah, hot coffee on my face," his look is like. Oh, he's like, my skin is absorbing this precious (laughs) caffeine. I love it. I needed one of my patented facial caffeine baths. (laughs) That's what will make me feel better. He's also begun seeing another therapist by this point, a woman who sits on folding chairs so close to him, their knees are interlaced. Yeah, it seems in the like they're going to start making out at any second. <laughs> it's, you would expect, it's supposed to be different than his other psychotherapist, it is, who's all about medication. She's all about being magic. It is, <laughs> in that she fades away at the end of it as if she was a ghost or alien or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she tells him he has a special power. The things he's learned are very important. It's up to him. It's all super vague. It's like if Yoda never really explained anything to Luke. 
and yep. never taught him how to do flips and balance rocks and just died and disappeared at the end, but it was all vague mumbo-jumbo. That's what this character is like. Okay. And and they exactly like Yoda says Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, this woman's performance is just like Frank Oz, but uh, they, I guess I didn't even see that it, that he must say like I'm going to show how far apart he is from this other therapist by having them sit on opposite ends of a room. I'm going to show how in tune these people are by having them sit with their crotches almost touching. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the closest to a smart directorial choice he made. It's so it's fun. I was thinking about this earlier today that like you read ex, like kind of readings of films and you're like. By showing him from below, they emphasize how powerful he is as he looms over. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of obvious. I don't know if you needed to state that in words. But it just shows you how, like, symbology in a movie can be either simple and strong and simple and incredibly stupid. <laughs> in this case, it's incredibly stupid. Look, I'm no semiotician, okay? Yeah. This, is just what I, this is just how it gets me. But anyway, so Keyes decides to reveal these government secrets. Uh, there's a ghost that's floating <laughs> floating yeah. around every now and then. There's a dream sequence where like a weird like ghost like or like a transparent man like walks into the house and then blood falls on the floor and then he fades away. I We've don't know what that's all about. We've seen this character a couple times where he's just a pair of black shoes and black pants who fades yeah. away and dissolves. I don't know what and he represents exactly. And the mirrors and pictures a, shake a, a bunch. A mirror that's shaking. There's a bunch of scenes where the director, star, writer, producer is nude in that Neil black Brain, yeah. room. Yeah, and that's and the most like Twin Peaks part And he's part hugging a nude woman whose hair is covering her face. And it seems pretty clear that that woman represents... Leah, Leah, the girl he's reconnected with, but that Leah did not want to do a nude scene, and so he hired someone else, like Ed Wood, Bela Lugosi, Plan 9 style, hired someone else and then covered their face with something. That's my guess. Yeah. Anyway, he's he, even though his well, wife just like died. like Scott McCloud always says, <laughs> <laughs> he expects that the audience is going to be able to fill in the blanks between the two shots. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's just filling in the gutters. Uh, his wife died, he comes home, and uh, he has two great grappling with someone's death scenes one with his friend where he's holding his friend's bloody head and he's like and he wipes the blood on his face for no reason and he's like i'm not gonna be help you able to help you out of this one <laughs> it's like yeah dude he's dead i don't know and then what, you think he's gonna make a deal with the, like he's gonna like daniel webster satan about this um, and he yeah. goes to, he cradles his dead wife's body and he just was saying like what it was you it was you or something yeah. like that. It and then, was, it, then the music swells and he seems to be saying something, but they cut the audio track <laughs> out. He's clearly, well, at one point he's clearly yelling, no, no, mm-hmm. Darth Vader episode three style. I want to talk they, a little bit about audio. how this movie makes a lot of weird cuts to people's close-ups of face while they're talking. And in a lot of those cuts, they don't try and match up the background sounds that well. So in some shots, you'll be like, oh, wow, they turned the air conditioning on for this shot. <laughs> But then a second later, you're like, oh, they turned it off. It's, yeah. It must have gotten too chilly in that room. It's kind of like... take any room tone in this movie. It's like the opposite of uh, the movie Hustle and Flow, where they make a big deal about like turning off the, the fan before they record their rap songs. In this case, they turn nothing off. And you const- like it's like they bring in a couple extra refrigerators to have running in the background. <laughs> well, much it, like we've, it's, this movie feels like someone who wants to be David Lynch and is really bad at it at times. It also feels like someone who wants to be making en- of the Enemy of the State and is bad at it. But like when you look at David Lynch's movies... I would movies, love to see David Lynch make Enemy of the State. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you look at David Lynch's movies, like his sound design is so important. And yeah. like so much of the power of Eraserhead is in the sounds that you're hearing and how consistent and how, you know, just like overwhelming they are. And this is the exact opposite <laughs> of that, where he was like, 
sound. Yeah, we're recording the dialogue. Move it along, people. <laughs> we'll cover up all that other stuff with this Irish flute music. <laughs> so his wife is dead. He's taken up with Leah. She's already sleeping in his bed, face down, so you can see the side of her boobs, but not the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene where... Before his neighbor gets killed, there's a scene where his neighbor wakes up in bed with his wife, and they are awkwardly not talking to each other. But they're both asleep, lying face down with their arms up on the pillow in the same pose as, like... Like they're getting couples massages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, no, like, like a married couple slept in the exact same pose. I feel like it was the director being like, all right, you be in this position uh, so we can see most of your boob, but not all of it. And I guess you be in the same position so it's not obvious what you're doing. <laughs> you be in the same position because I don't want to show the audience that you have better pecs than I do. <laughs> now, when I, that, now, I want to get back to how there's a ghost in this movie. When I say ghost, I mean kind of an animated plastic bag that floats through the air that's <laughs> sure. superimposed on scenes while a... A ghost is, a, is nothing but a memory, Elliot. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, there's just ghosts. This thing just pops up and pops out and doesn't signify very much. It shakes a mirror at one point, and that gives him the inspiration to finally reveal these secrets. He sneaks out of bed so as not to wake up Leah in maybe the funniest shot in the movie, where it looks like he is escaping a one-night stand or something like that. It's He, go, he goes to the desert. He, uh, oh, she's been kidnapped too. Did I forget to mention that? That at one point she's oh, been she's kidnapped. I forgot that that even happened. She is chloroformed and kidnapped and taken to a, a van at a storage locker place. She's not even in one of the storage lockers. Luckily, like, during her struggle, she knocks loose a business card from her assailant's pocket that, exp- that has the where yeah that has the, the where, directions of where take her take to her. this place. Which makes me realize that the assailant probably spent a lot of time on the phone with the guy who hired him, being like, oh, "I lost the card. Tell me where I'm supposed to take her again." <laughs> I can't put an address into MapQuest. I don't have... Yeah. No one uses MapQuest. But the, so, but and then the like hero, Dylan, <laughs> shows up quest. and he sees her bag on the ground and he calls her and leaves a long message on her voicemail. It's like, where are you? I'm worried. I see your bag. It's lying on the walk to the house. I looked in the house. You're not in the house. Where are you? Why is your bag on the walkway from the front of the house to the rear of the house? <laughs> and then he sees... And it's only after he leaves this long message that he looks three millimeters over and sees the card that says, take her to da-da-da-da-da-da. Immediate cut to a shot that's night for day or day for night. He goes, and what does he like? Kill a guy there or something? He has magic powers now. He he helps her escape with his ability to walk through doors and walk Well, he runs up and hits the guy in the head with a bottle, right? Oh, that's right. He hits him with a bottle. And then he goes, but then he, he... Teleports Some street room, justice. He teleports her out of like a fucking like trailer. Court is adjourned. <laughs> it would not have been hard to get her out of that trailer without using his magic walk through walls powers. It's locked. He doesn't know how to get in there. Yeah. And he, yeah, he has the black rock. If you have the black rock, you use it. That's right. He's got that black rock. He's the chosen one. Later on, it, it's a flash drive or something. Anyway, so he, uh, skipping ahead a little bit, he goes out to the desert. He talks to some ghosts and a magic book, and they tell him nothing. So he decides he's going to reveal these secrets. Cut these to... These fateful findings, if you will. <laughs> to coin a phrase. He cut to... He's standing in front of the worst green screen of the Supreme Court <laughs> you have ever seen. Ever. In front with a microphone like stand. You, you, guys, uh, you guys both work for The Daily Show and use a lot of blue uh, green screen and shit. I don't work for The Daily Show. But you have worked for The Daily Show. Super true. And... The and but the Daily Show backdrops are so much more believable than yes, this bullshit fake one. Because we put just the most minimum effort into it. 
And so he's he's a comedy show. Yeah, he, he, he announces. Well, this is this movie is pretty funny. It's pretty big comedy <laughs> That's show. True. Like this, this is the funniest comedy I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I think Dan, you said it's the funniest yeah. comedy movie in years. <laughs> but uh, he uh, he's announcing his findings in the most vague way possible. All yeah. these secrets, governments <laughs> have committed secrets, there's been hypocrisy and crime and corruption, all these companies, we've got to hold them to justice, the justice system has failed. We cut to a lot of shots of cam- cameras set up to watch him with crowd noise laid over it. Yeah, but no visible people, so it seems like the microphones are making all these noises. <laughs> <laughs> that are cheering and clapping. At one point he goes, I have all the documents, and you hear applause, <laughs> and he says, I've... I've so I have the documents here, and he holds up that black stone, and like I'm yep. gonna release them. So he seems like a crazy person. But you cut to we also yeah, you cut to reaction shots of I guess like there's a bunch of people bankers. Well, and, we don't even know that they're just a bunch of people in suits who are nodding, and they've look on their face like yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, but and, unless I'm wrong, it's the same backdrop. Yes, it's the same Supreme so, Court background. The, the reverse shot is the same <laughs> as the front he is, shot. He is he is. Clearly standing in some place where two alternate dimension Supreme Court yes. buildings stare at each other across some a portal of some kind. You know, yep. so, someone's opened up a viewing screen between alternate scotuses, and uh, they now this cuts to okay. This is my new favorite part of the movie. I have so many favorite parts of this movie where each of the people that we've seen nodding reveals that they work at. They're either senators or they're the head of a corporation or they work at the bank or he, this one. That's literally what they say. I, I work at the I'm bank. Resigning as president of the bank. <laughs> and then one guy literally says, I and other insurance companies have been cheating people. So you're an insurance company, I guess? Each of them admits their wrongdoing and then when, kills themselves. <laughs> two of them, two separate of them, just pull out a gun and shoot themselves on the Supreme Court steps. <laughs> and you would think that somebody... They're like, okay, let's let's broom and sweep them off there. Okay, next person, come on up. Someone would rush in and stop them. And you know the second guy was like... I was going to shoot myself. Now I look like I'm a copycat. And you cut to other, the rest of them. They, one guy hangs himself. One slashes his wrists in a hilarious scene. Yeah. One guy... He, one, the guy who slashes his wrists is the only one they actually show getting zipped up in a body bag. <laughs> and, well, that's because he was he was fighting a guy from Cobra Kai. Oh, okay. And they literally put him in a body bag. Oh, that's... Wait, is that going to get him disqualified? <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, one guy takes pills in his car and then smiles as if dreaming the sleep of, sleeping and having the dream of fairies and angels <laughs> as he, his head slowly falls to the steering wheel. It is like, if it, it's like in The Godfather, the baptism slash massacre scene, if that was so super crappy. Like, that's the way this is done. It's so funny. Anyway... That having been accomplished... That was hilarious. We were fucking correct. We were up. laughing so hard. <laughs> that being accomplished, he and Leah return to the woods and uh, remember their childhood selves. And that's it. Everyone's saved. Evil has been wiped yeah. out of the world. A bunch of innocent people died. I uh, guess magic. they like walked to Valhalla or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they Mag- crossed the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> yeah, Boromir was oh, no. Boromir's not Asgardian. That's I mean, Boromir should be in fucking Valhalla, dude. He killed all those orcs. <laughs> but he admitted there, his wrongdoing. I just want to say this episode of the Flophouse has had the fewest tangents I think of any. Yeah, because this because movie, the movie was so mean. <laughs> we're trying to wrap our brains around it. Like we should have watched this movie at Christmas. <laughs> Or any other gift-giving holidays, because like I cannot advise you enough to turn off this podcast right now and go watch yeah, this movie. Yeah, I think I think we need to go straight to Final Judgments. Good, good, good movie. <laughs> like good, bad movie, movie, a bad, bad movie, a movie kind of like 
I say that this is, yeah, move over the room and Birdemic and like I like this is a good bad movie. I was while I was watching it, I'm just like I was all I was thinking about was like the people I want to introduce <laughs> yeah. this movie to. Yeah, I I can't wait to show this movie to my parents. <laughs> Like my parents who will have no understanding of what they're watching. It is the the goodest bad movie I think maybe I've ever seen. Like it's there were uh, I can't even like I feel like we've we've gone through the whole movie and we've barely scratched the surface of how it's like I've never thought I'd say to someone in describing a movie, it's like the room if Tommy Wiseau was bad at making movies. <laughs> like that's what it feels like to me. Like, it lacks the polish of Birdemic. Watching this movie was like that moment when Baby Houseman gets picked up by Johnny Castle at the end of Dirty Dancing, (laughs) and she's flying for but a moment, and she thinks maybe in her head, maybe I'll fly off into outer space. (laughs) I think you're reading a lot into that movie. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about, like, while I was watching this movie, I was thinking about, like, what makes the difference between a bad, bad movie and a good, bad movie. And the thing about a truly, like, great, good, bad movie is if a movie is really bad... You have no idea what's going to happen next. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like a mediocre movie, you always know what's going to happen next. Here, like it's just like this. This is done by a madman. <laughs> Only in a know. truly yeah. great movie or a truly bad movie are you constantly su- surprised. <laughs> there's such a thin line of two sides of the same coin. Really, there's. If you had told me halfway through that the movie was going to end with him on the steps of the Supreme Court building admonishing the government (laughs) and big business and then a montage of them killing themselves, many of them with smiles on their face (laughs) as they greet the Grim Reaper, I I wouldn't believe you. It's like the only way to explain it is if he literally was trying – he's like – one of those guys who makes new languages in his spare time, and he's like, I'm going to invent a new way of making films. And maybe I'm going to have to grope in the dark for a time as I re- as I reinvent the primitive history of filmmaking to create a new type of storytelling grammar. But I think, you know what? I'll do it how long as it takes. And this was his first try. Like, oh, oh boy. Man, you, like... It really, I, th- I feel like we've said this about other movies, but it feels like a guy who was had a movie described to him <laughs> and was like, yeah, okay, I can make that, and then just tried to do it. Oh, Neil Breen, like, you're my hero now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allegra Ringo, a dog owner. And I am Renee Colvert, a dog wanter. And together, we're the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? podcast for unapologetic dog lovers. So let's talk about this. What are you getting yourself into? What is this podcast about? Well, we have dog news, dog experts, and interviews with special guests about their dogs. We also talk about dogs that we met this week. Join us every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org for new episodes of Can I Pet Your Dog? I want to say that tonight the Flophouse is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, the all-in-one website platform. Squarespace's sites look professionally designed, regardless of your skill level, with no coding required. Now, Dan, can I ask you a question about, okay, now as we've established in previous episodes, I'm trying to get some websites off the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I haven't had the chance to use Squarespace yet, and I'm having trouble with other companies trying to get my my Christopher Lee fan site, (laughs) penguinfarts.com. Again, I think that's a weird... Name for well, it. I'm, I don't I'm think setting. Really a, I'm having, having trouble with that project. I'm setting it aside. Instead yeah, sure. Of, okay. I've got a new. I've got a new website. It's okay. called monkeypenis.com, oh, okay. and it's an exploration of the work of Guy de Maupassant. Oh wow! Uh, sure. And the necklace. That's that's. Yeah, you know, I think you're that's right. Right. Sure. Yeah. 
Anyway, what I really like about him most is that his name is Guy, but it's pronounced Gi, <laughs> mm-hmm. like a karate Gi. Yep, it's or, the outfit of karate guy letters that's used in Indian food. Sure, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so is Squarespace the place I want to? I need a simple all-in-one solution. I want my website to look the same on phones want, and laptops and iPads without me having to recode it every You were just time. telling me the other day you really want responsive design. Incredibly responsive design. Well, I want it to be as responsive as a, as a, as a lover <laughs> who knows every inch of your body almost better than you know well, it. Well, you're in luck because that is Squarespace. And you can start your free trial uh, today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. That's another thing I wanted to ask you. My credit cards were taken away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, I mean, eventually you're going to be in trouble. I think at some point you're going to need to have to pay for this. But I No, but I, I want to start it up without a credit card. Can I do that? You can. No as I credit said, card required. What happened was I went to a snooty restaurant, okay. and mm-hmm. when I went to pay... I'm, I must have overdrawn on my account because they literally cut up the card in front of me yep. with scissors. What was crazy was that they were charging so much, and there were like three sprouts on that plate. Yep, mm. and it was the evening of Force Friday where Elliot spent all his fun bucks <laughs> on yep. Star Wars dudes. I had dudes. to buy every one of the Lego Star Wars sets or some shit. <laughs> Take it easy. all that some people have in their lives. Anyway, so... <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Sorry, I read an article about Force Friday that got me really mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Dan, Squarespace... Can help me with that. I can get in easy and see if it's the right thing for me. It sounds like it's really great. Is there some kind of code that I could use for discounts? Indeed. You can use the offer code FLOP, that's F-L-O-P, to get 10% off your first purchase. Now, I want to start a website that's a tribute to Neil Breen, writer, director, producer of Fatal Findings, (laughs) that's called AlmostTopless.com. Uh, you think Squarespace is a place I could do you that? You can do that easily with Squarespace. Responsive design? Yep. And I don't need to know coding? No. You don't need a credit card. Well, how's their tech support? Uh, it's excellent. And you can use the offer code FLOP to get 10% off your first purchase. But I don't need a credit card, right? No. Squarespace. Can I pay by money order? You can. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. That seems like a I'm promise we shouldn't be up. making. That's a, I'm, I'm trying to get you to shut up. up. I'm trying to get you to shut up. So squarespace.com, offer code FLOP. Yeah, build it beautiful. But uh, moving no, on. No, no, you should say like this, build it beautiful. <laughs> build it beautiful. Like you're a detective. Um, so uh, we should move on to letters from Guys, that's, I just want to say this has, I, been, this has been great so far. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks. I think, Dan, that's what I would have said to Elizabeth Warren Roebling. Uh, the woman who was really responsible for making sure the Brooklyn Bridge happened, she'd be like, ah, oh, my husband, he's he's in, stuck in bed now and he won't leave bed for years after his nervous collapse and the bends probably, mm-hmm. and I have to oversee this major construction project. Uh, what should I do? And I'd say, build it, beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> okay. So, Dan, what do we do now? We uh, read letters from listeners in a little segment we call the Flophouse Movie Mailbag. I mean, we haven't called it that. Do for we a really while. call it that? I think uh, we have in the you, past. you can call what, call whatever you, you call want. Call whatever you want. Just don't. Just call trust it your late body, dude. Why would you call it late for dinner? It doesn't tell the audience what it is. Yeah. So this is some kind of cooking segment for people with, with busy schedules. I don't understand. Why are you so touchy about being late for dinner? <laughs> and look, the letters are very hungry. They're so hungry, guys. <laughs> wow. Hungry for a song. Hungry for souls. <laughs> uh, you mean songs, right? <laughs> yeah. Open that mailbag. Open it wide and dive inside. There's letters inside. Hey, don't hide from the letters inside. There's letters inside the mailbag. Who are these letters for? Let's take a look. It's my neighbor's mail. Open it up. I'm a nosy guy. Huh. 
They're in arrears. They're losing their house. This is sad news, and I wish I didn't know it. Glue that letter back shut. Slide it under their door. When the house goes up for auction, buy it up and then sell it for more. Flipping houses, that's where the money is. Flipping houses in today's market. Buy a house cheap, fix it on up, sell it for more. The business runs itself if you know how to fix a house. With letters. Brought to you by Property Brothers on HGTV. That was that was one of the songs that sounded most like a TV theme. I was going to say that, but even before uh, I was going to say, they all seem to have the same tempo. So this letter goes: I'm a big fan of your show. My favorite flopper is Elliot. Thank you. I'm, hesit- I'm hesitant to say this because I'm afraid it will lead to this letter not being read because of Dan jealousy. If I say that I'm a wife and that I have a butt, will that win me over in the eyes of Perpozoid number one? I hope so. Anywho, I'm not sure about Dan and Stuart, but I've heard Elliot say We're he's not terrible. a fan of... <laughs> I've heard Elliot say he's not a fan of Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, and Judd Apatow. I mean, they're okay. I mean, I'm not, they're not... They don't float my personal boat. I feel that between those three Which people... floats on the waters of Lake Champlain. You get a majority of the comedies that are released in theaters today. What are some of your favorite comedies that have come out in recent years, and what current comedians are you fans of? Thanks, Mallory, last name withheld. P.S., thank you for continuously mentioning the film Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. (laughs) I completely forgot about that film and was glad to be reminded of the movie from my youth about a baby dinosaur. A lost legend. Uh, Now found. (laughs) At your local video store. Modern comedies, (laughs) other than Fateful Findings, that we enjoyed. Are there any? Uh, I mean, I like the trip movies. Yeah, I think that we've mentioned before uh, that we all enjoy the uh, Edgar Wright. Uh, yeah, the Cornetto trilogy stuff. Sure, mm-hmm. those are good ones. Uh, I guess recently, like I to, to reference Judd Apatow, I liked Trainwreck quite a bit. Oh, I still haven't seen that yet, and I like Spy a lot too. I've heard good things about that. I felt too. Was, that was like the people involved's probably best best work. I, uh, yeah, when I watched that movie, I sort of thought, like, at the beginning, I'm like, okay, well, this is not as good as it was advertised. Like, it felt very rote. And then as it went on. Yes, they wrote it. I, uh, <laughs> How many times have I done that joke now? Like, I, 10? At, at least once before. Um, but as it went on, I, I appreciated it. But Jason Statham makes a face off joke. No, he's just, she's terrific. And I liked, uh, Rose, uh, Rose Bernie? Rose Bernie. Gowan? Burn? Bernie? Yeah. I have to admit. Yeah, Bernie, starring Jack Black. <laughs> And Alice and Alice and Janney's in it. She's great. I have to admit that I I don't see a lot of modern comedies these days, partly because I've had so many experiences of not enjoying them, and that keeps me from going to new ones. And I should break that habit. I should be willing to risk my time on a modern comedy. You just stick with old timey comedies like Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, starring old, yeah. nerds. Old <laughs> starring the nerds <laughs> and featuring revenge. <laughs> Also starring cameo appearance by of <laughs> the, the like, like uh, I'm trying to think of there's like a a recent comedy that I thought was really really funny and there's I just I mean what we do in the it. shadows was fucking great but I haven't seen that yet but you should it's great I want to see it um, my TiVo's full of Czech New Wave films I gotta watch those first that's not comedies there, some of them are very funny. Just like TBS. Do you, do you like me? Check new wave. 
so this letter uh, goes like this. It says, listen here. I think this letter goes a little something like this. <laughs> listen here, Kalen. Uh, what? This you, is such a turn of a turnaround from the last one. You said your dream was to be a Popeye's spokesman. Well, buddy, here's your chance. I'll make this quick. Spokesman. I woke up on the day of my wedding and I was running late. <laughs> I want to know how these sentences connect. My groomsman and I had to stop somewhere to get breakfast, but it was pouring rain. We ended up at Burger King. It was 10.30 a.m. and they were like, no, we don't have breakfast anymore. And you'll have to wait a million years before we're ready for lunch. So I dashed across the busy street to Popeye's. Popeye's. I asked if they were serving breakfast still. They said no. I said, okay, then I'll take the most breakfasty thing you have for lunch. So they made me a Cajun pool boy. I ate it quickly and then ran off to get married. During the entire ceremony, reception, and uh, night, my stomach was tumultuous. The Cajun pool boy was begging to be released. My question's for you, Kalen. One, how dare you? And two, what is Popeye's stance on Cajun pool boys for breakfast? Alex's last name withheld. Uh, well, Alex, one, I had Popeyes on True my back. wedding day, too, and it was delightful, and it sat in my stomach like a beautiful cat on a taffeta pillow. <laughs> Did you eat that in the movie theater when we were watching Piranha 3D? No, we stopped after, on the way back. It was after we went to Piranha 3D, Mike. Okay. I think you were in the car, Dan, with my brother. Yeah, you David guys, was like, I know where there's a Popeyes near here, or somehow he, like, searched for one. Yep, like he, Monterey Jack seeking out cheese. <laughs> <laughs> he closed his eyes and floated along the scent. And so after that, uh, before I got changed for the wedding into my suit, uh, we sat outside his hotel room and ate Popeyes for lunch. Just one of many reasons that that was the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, the wedding. Number two, it was great seeing Frana 3D with my pals. Three, Popeyes for lunch. Like, greatest day of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the let's Okay, let's get a few things straight. One, I just want to say I do not endorse anything at Popeyes other than the chicken. I don't know any. I don't order anything other than the chicken. I don't care for their other stuff. What about They're their gr- Nolan style red beans and rice? Well, that I eat as a side dish every time. Yes, uh-huh. but that's, just, but that's <laughs> to, in- to quiet your tumultuous stomach filled with chicken. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the deal is with your tender tummy that you couldn't handle that food. But also, dude, where are you getting married? That there were fast food restaurants and no bathrooms. Deal with it before the ceremony, guy. Come on. Mm-hmm. Or at any point during the reception, step aside and use the toilet. It's your day. No one can tell you no. Yeah. Maybe he didn't want to have to unlimber all of his uh, wedding equipment that he was wearing. Yeah, yeah. Undo his, his whalebone. <laughs> wedding <horses>. equipment? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a cod piece? What? Yeah, why not? You know, and like one of those proton packs that you wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some kind of steampunk gizmo. <laughs> some, some kind of deathlock armor. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, uh, so I your experience... Was not a good one. I take it. Try Popeyes again. Get the fried chicken mm-hmm. and deal with it. And as, as a breakfast food, fried deal chicken is you great. Mean, I've eaten yeah. I've eaten cold Popeyes fried chicken for breakfast many times. You mean you mean put on some waffles? Because you should my, just go up and order the Kalen special, which is a four piece mild. Thank you. With rice and beans. <laughs> with no red, drink. Red, red beans and rice on the side. No drink. Biscuit. And then also spoken as a man. Who has often picked up Popeyes for <laughs> Elliot? Uh, it's uh, on the way over to record this. Actually, uh, it was funny. A guy stopped me on the street and said, "Are you Elliot Kalen?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he said, "He's a Flophouse listener." And I go, "Oh, thanks." He goes, "Yeah, the Popeyes was a giveaway. <laughs> so I had a, a bag of Popeyes in my hand." Uh, here's the thing: when I was young. <laughs> And the like goody goody look on your face where you're so excited <laughs> that I was licking my chops and rubbing my hands together, <laughs> yeah. the uh, like a cartoon wolf <laughs> yeah. staring at Red Hot Riding Hood. The uh, 
uh, when I was a young man before there was a lady in my life, I would frequently on weekends get a box of fried chicken on Friday night. <laughs> That's my food for the weekend. So I'm having it for breakfast two days in a row, and it was fantastic. Am I alive today to tell the tale? Somehow. Yeah. So continue. That malcontent has been disposed of. Yeah. So this next letter Popeyes forever <clears throat> goes, help me be better at being dumped. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Dear Flophouse, oh. I recently got dumped and I'm grateful to your podcast for helping me not act like an insane person. Whenever I want to call my ex-boyfriend, I instead make myself listen to a Flophouse episode. Soon I am laughing and don't care about my ex-boyfriend anymore because he was not as funny as you are. Especially Dan, who is my favorite, and Elliot, who is my other favorite. Sorry, Stuart. It's okay. I'm the garbage one. <laughs> Unfortunately. Usually the ladies love cool Stuart. <clears throat> he, uh, she says, the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode was not up to standard, in my opinion. I got distracted and ended up calling my ex-boyfriend, who now thinks I am crazy. This is too much pressure to put on us. <laughs> Please help me be better at being dumped by have, only having A++++ episodes. For example, the Transformers episode, or the That's My Boy episode. Thank you in advance, Maggie, last name withheld. Maggie, you're too good for that guy. You yeah. kick him to the curb and forget about him because there's plenty of fish in the sea. I don't even know why you're listening to this episode. You should be watching Fateful Findings. You watch Fateful Findings, you'll be laughing so hard, you'll be like, boyfriend who doesn't mm-hmm. exist? Boyfriend what? I want to be with that Neil Breen. <laughs> yeah. Who all the ladies want to lightly peck. And you should only be dating boyfriends from the Boyfriend Academy. <laughs> oh, you mean the As boyfriend taught school? by Shelley Long. <laughs> A.K.A. Don't Tell Her It's Me University. <laughs> yep. Uh, I guess but, she is the teacher. I yeah. always kind of viewed her as like a sensei type. <laughs> I mean, that's a, another word <laughs> like for a, teacher. Like a seafood It literally type. means teacher. <laughs> I, a teacher, huh? I always thought of her as more of a professor. <laughs> <laughs> more of an adjunct professor. Uh, no, An I'm instructor glad. sort of position. <laughs> Some sort of instruction provider. <laughs> Glad we were able to help you, I guess. I assume we were. Uh, I don't know. This episode's super great, right? We'll do our best to try to be funny so that you laugh and don't think about them. But hey, I hope by the time you listen to this episode, you're already awash on a sea of dudes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gross. Uh, Are you gross? So, last letter goes like this. Dear Radio Zork, apply grease to door hinge, push open door, throw dynamite at Gru. Matt, last name withheld. It's mm. a lot of motions for one yeah, turn. I don't know if you can make that many. I think it kind of disqualifies <laughs> it. <laughs> yep. You become unstuck in time because you're moving too fast. <laughs> you are dead. <laughs> you're nice, a harsh game master, A, a nice try. <laughs> uh, but thanks for playing. You cheat a good game, boy. <laughs> but now you zork. Thanks for playing the most popular radio adventure. Radio Zork, brought to you by Dan. <laughs> brought to you what? <laughs> and Elliot. What was it actually brought to you by? Delicious penises? I can't oh, remember. It was, uh, yeah, I forgot what it was. I forgot what old-timey vulgar product it was. <laughs> Greasy penises. Yeah. Is there any other kind? Yeah. That's, it's time for our genital health corner, right? Every episode we have a new tip about yeah. genital health. And Check Stuart, your penis. Is it greasy? Well, that's the thing. Stuart has, has reminded me that always keep your penis well greased. Yeah. If you don't have a penis, grease someone else's. Oil They'll can. appreciate it. Oil <laughs> can. That squeaking isn't, isn't the, aren't your hip hinges. No, it's your penis asking for oil. Oil can. 
You want to get a smooth erection? You got to grease that thing up. Other, okay, so gonna, I think the next is super spiky. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna creak its way up or gritty. Yeah. So the next step of this podcast that is not was, talking about gross stuff. That was super. It's gross. talking about fun stuff. Movies we actually liked. Boing. Dan's gonna start. Oh, I am. All right. Uh, I was watching. Bounce coup, pass. We just we just it was a coup d'état. <laughs> Stewart is now the host. A coup de gras. I was watching. Uh, Hanging with Mr. Coup d'état. <laughs> I was watching a thing called television the other day, and I was flipping. Tell me more. <laughs> I was flipping past the channels, uh, which is what the kids Ooh, are doing. Story gets even better. <laughs> and I came across the second, uh, well, the last third actually of a little movie called Death Trap. Which I watched several times oh, growing up uh, because it was on HBO all the time. <laughs> As but, you waited for what Sheena to be on, yeah. But I I, I like that movie quite a bit. Uh, it stars uh, Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve, and Diane Cannon in the three major roles. There's a, there's there's about five major major roles. Uh, like five roles in the whole movie, basically. Yeah. And uh, it's just a, a twisty like it. It was based on a play. By Ira Levin. Uh, it's directed by Cindy Lumet. He does not open up the play particularly. He just uh, directs it well. And you, you, when you've got people like Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve and Diane Cannon, like they are able to play the thriller elements of the story, but they're also able to play the light comedy elements of it because it is a silly movie at its heart. It's full of uh, twists and turns that kind of uh, take advantage of the thriller plotting while sort of also making fun of it at the same time. And uh, it's a very enjoyable movie. It's about a failed um, a writer of thriller plays who engages in a plot to try and get rid of his wife, and uh, then many twists and turns come afterwards. And so uh, if you're looking for just a fun time, I recommend Death Trap. More than Fateful Findings? Uh, I mean, maybe equally in different ways. <laughs> um, others? That sounds great. You know, guys, the other day I popped on a movie on the old digital video player. Am I the only one who's not going to explain <laughs> the circumstances in which he watched his movie? In the media? <laughs> I fired it up, and boy, did I have... The time of my life. Now I cracked a couple <laughs> Is of that beers. A reference to a song. <laughs> yeah, you did dirty uh, dancing. I never Nobody felt that way before. You know, it's out of my league. I looked through every open door, <laughs> and I watched Spike Lee's Inside Man. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I expected. <laughs> Which is a great little thriller. Uh, it's got an amazing show-stopping performance from my man, <laughs> Clive <laughs> Owen. Clive the Chive Owen. <laughs> Clive Owen. Hello, is it me? It's me, Clive Owen, today, Governor. Movie. It shows a path for Spike Lee's career that he decided not to take. It is. I, I mean, it's super impressive that the guy turns out what is basically a Hollywood thriller and it's just super great, competent and fun to watch. I mean, it's not Den- as good Denzel as like- Washington is draped in the best, uh, draped in the best Steve Harvey suits. <laughs> I want to say it's not as good as obviously as the taking of Pelham one, two, three, but it's got the remake certain. No, it's no. got some of the same flavor in that. Oh, it's it's yeah. really like a New York. Oh thriller. no. I would say inside man is the closest to a remake in terms of spirit of the Taking of Pell yeah. 1, 2, 3, because yeah. it is a crime movie that has a, a really good thriller plot and it's really suspenseful, but it 
does give you a picture of what life in New York at a certain time is like. Like it, it captures little things about kind of post September 11th New York in a way that no other movies I feel like really have, except what like the 25th Hour, which is all about post September 11th. Yeah, New York, and also you know? Spike Lee. And it's also Spike Lee. And it's got a it's got a great cast. Clive I don't Owen. know if I mentioned it has Clive Owen in it, mm-hmm. uh, Denzel, Jodie Foster, Christopher, my man Plummer. <laughs> Uh, just raw dog in it. Seeds of the pea. Chiwetel Ejiofor is also in there. He is totally in it. People Uh, say ICP means insane clown posse, but for me there's only I, Christopher Plummer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... Jodie Foster's in it doing a really weird performance that's better than her weird performance in Elysium. Yep. So to was really good in it. No, I know, but she's like it's she very is mannered. She she is borderline omniscient mystical being in yeah. some ways. Mm-hmm. But like she's, she's like a wind elemental, like Dame Judi Dench in that Riddick movie. It's mm-hmm. like Jodie Foster is playing a non crazy version of Julian Anderson's character in Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. where there's just something off about her. So to summarize, I'm going to recommend Dirty Dancing. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, I'm going to recommend a different movie. Uh, this is a movie that we started talking about at the beginning of Fateful Findings because there's a long shot of the storage locker area, uh, and that's Primer. Primer? I feel like Fateful Findings is an example of how one man can write, direct, star, and produce in a movie on a very low budget, and it is terrible. But it's possible for one man to... It's terrible for anyone to try and imitate such a great movie. Yeah, yeah, it's unimitable. <laughs> it's inimitable. There's a, it is possible for one man to write, direct, star, and produce a very low-budget movie and have it come out really good. Mm-hmm. Like prim- Bad Taste. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's an example, too. It's not the one I'm going to talk about. The one I'm talking about is Primer, <laughs> uh, which came up because a lot of it takes place in a storage, in a, like a rental storage space. But... Uh, it's uh, for people who are not aware of it, and probably most of our listeners are at this point. It's a time travel movie that was made for a very minimal budget. It's like seven thousand dollars or something like that. Like it's El Mariachi level budget, but it's and the when one main way you can tell that is that the sound recording in some scenes is not ideal, but it's a really good time travel paradox science fiction movie that does not rely on special effects and just relies on. I mean, it's plotting. arguably the best time travel movie. Yeah. I think I think you could make a really good case that it's the best time travel movie there is. And I was not a fan that much of Shane Carruth, the writer director stars other movie Upstream Color. I found that a little too abstract for me. Hmm. But I did but Primer I feel like is just in that right place of being mysterious but also a movie with a plot that you can maybe you have to puzzle out some of it later but you can follow it. Whereas Upstream Color it felt like he wrote a movie and then he decided to like remove random pages of dialogue. And that I didn't love so much. I like Upstream Color. There are things I like about it. It's one of the, it's Upstream Color. What I like about it are the parts that have to do with their relationship only, and I don't like any of the stuff that has to do with the like conspiracy to get that chemical that makes people experience the same thing or yeah. whatever it is, you know. But Primer, I recommend. It's Low budget dreams, live them, make the movie. Mm-hmm. I think Upstream Color Color is definitely like a movie that you kind of want to let wash over you and not think about it too hard. Whereas Primer... A real check your brain at the door thrill ride. Yep. No, no. A real just, Valhalla rising. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so moody and, like, you get a sense of what it's about without, like, trying to need to puzzle it out. Whereas I think yeah. Primer, like, 
actually rewards a little more engagement with what's going on. I could see that. Even though you don't necessarily need to understand everything that happens to enjoy it. You don't have to, say, go on the internet and find those, like, crazy... Those crazy diagrams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I'd like to re- see a crazy diagram about the movie we watched tonight, Fateful Findings. Oh, man. There's... You could make a Venn diagram of the plots of this movie and none of the circles would touch. <laughs> like, the plots were so disconnected from each other. Uh, but... Thank you again for listening. Uh, are we done now? What's we going appreciate, on? We don't appreciate you enough. The listener. We read their letters. Yeah, that's the least we can do. Look, I know you're in a vulnerable place right now. He's uh, like a raw wound soaking in delicious salt. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> tastes yeah. great. Yummy. Yeah. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Real great. Well, thanks to the listeners, and thanks to you, Stuart, and thanks to you, Dan. Hey, uh, Elliot, thanks. Because hey. I had the time of my life, and I owe it all to you, That song is forever linked in my mind with Chuck E. Cheese, because I guess I went to Chuck E. Cheese a lot as a kid when that song was big. And yeah, you love fucking time. pizza, bro. You're crazy for it. <laughs> Look, if I can have pizza served to me by a guy in a mouse costume <laughs> while the same mouse character is a robot on stage in front of me, that's insane. Question, which leads me to ask the question: Are these brothers or <laughs> clones, or is this a? Are they moving type so? Fa- are they moving so quickly that they can appear to be in two <laughs> places at once? Chuck E. Cheese is a real mind fuck. <laughs> anyway, Dan, take it yeah, away. For the flop house, I've been Dan McCoy, and one of them is moving super jerky like oh, he's a robot. God. The other one clearly seems to be a college kid that in a guy, suit. That guy, Stuart <laughs> Wellington. And who am I? Hey, he's Elliot Kalen, the lovable scamp. America's favorite rascal. Trace Amigos. For the Flophouse, it's us. I'm Dan McCoy. (laughs) I've been Elliot Kalen Wellington. And that's a weird guy. (laughs) All right. Good night, everyone. It's okay. How are our levels? Uh, fine to me. I'm on the wood level Mega Man 2. Whoa, that's dope. With Leaf Man? Yeah, Leaf Man. I suggest that you use the whatever fire thing on the wood thing. Yeah, thanks, dude. Anyway, (laughs) thanks, Nintendo Power, (laughs) for that insider's tip. Yeah. If I could beat the fire level, I would have done that first. Wood Uh, level is the one you beat before that because it's easier. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hi, this is Dave Hill from Dave Hill's Podcasting Incident on the Maximum Fun Network. I'm here with my lovely and talented secretary, Miss Shana Feinberg. Shana, I understand you've been doing a bit of research to find out what listeners think of the show. Yes, I have, Dave. And what have you found? Well, people that love it say they love it because it's just Dave hanging out with someone in his apartment. Awesome. What, what do people that hate it say? They hate it because it's just Dave hanging out with someone in his apartment. Oh. Listen to Dave Hill's podcast dancing on the Maximum Fun Network, mother Was that too much? No, I think it was perfect. Perfect.